Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey everybody, welcome into another episode of the Can We Please Talk podcast. I am Mike Leon. And I am Nick Saveri. On the program today, the latest on Russia and Ukraine, where we stand in the current conflict, some key developments that have happened as well over the past few days, and the humanitarian efforts that are continuing to happen in that country. Plus, we're going to talk about the media coverage here at home of this war, because it's drawn the particular ire of someone on this show. Um more on that in a little bit and finally in our last segment uh we will talk about the one and only elon musk he wants full control of twitter and the twitter employees they want no part of elon musk ah trumpy stark more, I can't more, wait. more on that in our final segment i say hello first to the talented i say i said this before so you know what let me not use it again because some people think you're not talented uh, but nick Severi, i think he's talented I, I, folks yeah. Hey, listen, anytime someone wants to come goes. on this show and do, do it for what paid, which is nothing, obviously, um, they are they are more than welcome to. How are you I'm, doing, I, my I'm, friend? I'm good. I'm good. We uh, had a, you know, we were coming off Easter weekend at the Zaveri household. It was good times had by all. Uh, the Easter bunny was more than generous uh, to my daughters. So it was a good time. How about you all, Florida? Uh, the state where apparently it's harder to get a math textbook than it is a gun. Listen, uh, you know, funny enough, I'm, I'm so glad that you brought up Florida news because I was thinking about this as we were preparing for today's show. But, you know, I had some good conversations uh, over the weekend with, you know, some family members and, you know, topics that run the gamut here in Florida come up. But these were more civil in nature. Still don't agree with any of their viewpoints, but That's at least cool. they were more civil in nature. And uh, my my big thing to them was that's fine 
you can you can feel however you want to feel. You can feel however you want to feel. At the end of the day, our show and what I'm trying to do here with you is about facts versus opinion, right? Like not my facts, not Nick Savary's facts, like actual facts, right? So at the end of the day, it has to boil down to that. And also, if you can't agree that that is a fact, you know, sky blue, sun yellow, then you and I shouldn't be talking anymore. And so I, that got communicated pretty well. And also, like, I think generally people agreed. I, I think the big thing is Florida gets this, they get labeled with this entire brush of like cuckoo town down here. Excuse me. I was trying to find the words for how crazy people think it is. And I think that's a lot because of the media coverage that's made. And also, you know, Governor DeSantis wants to run for president of the United States. Like he's made no bones about that. I mean, quietly, at least to, to people, he's made no bones about that. But um, so I think people, you know, they get painted with like this, this broad brush of like, everybody feels like DeSantis. No, not even close. So, uh, and there's a large population of people down here that are, that are a little bit more rational than that. You get your, you get your normal people that, that, you know, Hey, listen, you're allowed to support Trump. You're allowed to be Republican. We've talked about that on the show. I want to get into our segments because, uh, enough about Florida. Cause we're going to get into Florida in the coming weeks, uh, we have a few people that are going to be coming on the show, particularly somebody that's running against Governor DeSantis. Uh, so we'll see more from candidates that are going to be running for key office positions in a couple of different states, Florida being one of them. We're going to do a couple other states as well as some of the battleground states as we get into the midterms. But let's get into our main topic at the start. And that's what's happening with Russia and Ukraine. You know, as we mentioned throughout the weeks uh, leading up to the war, as we've been in the war over the past six to seven weeks, we've mentioned we try to give people an update as best as we can, given this weekly format, right? Uh, the latest that's happening as of last night, Russia has begun a new offensive in the Donbass region. Uh, Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky has vowed that his country's forces will fight to the absolute end. Uh, in recent days, Russia has been building up their forces for an attack in what is Ukraine's industrial heartland, right? Where Moscow-backed separatists have been fighting the Ukrainian government for the past eight years. Also, a big development that happened yesterday, explosions rocked the Western city of Lviv and in a, a very rare and deadly attack. Because if you remember a few weeks back, Nick, when we had Marie Harf, former State Department spokesperson on, and Jared Fishman, the military historian, what was Jared's takeaway, right? If Russia starts attacking the west of Ukraine, which has been viewed as a safe hub for refugees, Western officials, you see CNN and Fox News and other media outlets all have their people stationed in Lviv or Kiev, right? Um, now that that has <laughs> been under attack by long range missiles from the Russian army, killing seven people, at least reportedly so far, in a blast in that area. That if if the western part of the country starts to become under attack from Russian forces and Putin, you know, tries to shore up how resources are getting into the country from Poland and other nations through the western border, that is going to be a huge thing and a development in this war. Also, in the southeastern town of Mariupol, the land bridge as seen to Crimea, uh, the last Ukrainian resistance has refused to surrender despite Russia giving an ultimatum and an unrelenting siege. On that city, we've seen media coverage of what's happened in that city. Russian forces have it surrounded, and it is viewed as a strategic point for the Russian army. Take a listen here to ABC News foreign correspondent James Longman as he summarizes what's happening in the conflict. 
Well, in the east, they're continuing to bombard cities like Kharkiv um, to kind of lay the groundwork for this possible Russian ground offensive. Uh, we've seen satellite imagery of uh, Russian troops building up on the borders uh, to the north of, of eastern Ukraine. Um, and so in a place like Kharkiv, that would be possibly in order for them to advance uh, on the ground. In a place like Lviv, we saw these airstrikes this morning. That is just more of Russia uh, trying to hit military installations, trying to keep um, the Ukrainians diverted, try to di pin their troops down in different parts of the region so they can't focus completely on the east. And also just send messages really to the people of Ukraine that Russia is there and they're willing to cause as much damage as it takes uh, to meet their objectives. So I think, you know, we've seen airstrikes not just in Lviv, but in Kyiv, the capital, uh, Dnipro, just north of where I am. Every single major Ukrainian city is really si seeing these, these airstrikes. And that's part of the reason why Ukraine has been saying from the very beginning that they wanted a no-fly zone, that they want help in the skies, because whilst they're fighting on the ground, they're also having to look to the skies where these dangers are still very real. All right, so you heard a little bit there about what's happening. Another big thing that happened Nick has mentioned this organization with, you know, Chef Jose Andres and the humanitarian efforts that he was doing, running a bunch of kitchens, the World Central Kitchen Organization that is, is under his umbrella. And they had a bunch of different food banks and kitchens set up in parts of the Ukraine, also in Poland as well as refugees were coming into the country. Well, he, the, the organization tweeted out uh, the other day, I believe on Saturday that there was a blast at their World Central Kitchen uh, setup restaurant in Kharkiv. And the restaurant, if you've seen the images online, the a missile strike, a Russian missile strike hit the restaurant, destroyed it. Uh, about four staff members have been injured in the blast. Doesn't sound like anyone was killed. Not sure what time the blast was, uh, but it was something that Chef Jose Andres tweeted out, you know, saying, uh, you know, an update I'd hoped I never have to make, you know, I'm at the restaurant in Kharkiv where less than 24 hours ago, I was meeting with the amazing team. And now this place is in rubbles, you know? So um, that's just an example of, you know, we've been talking about the humanitarian efforts that have been ongoing in that country. And Nick has pointed to the great work that Chef Jose Andres has been doing. And here's one of his, you know, locations under attack. Um, Nick, I mentioned a bunch of different things there because we're going to get into the media coverage of this uh, specifically here domestically. But when you look at what's happening in the conflict, it's still ongoing. There's still strategic uh, parts of different cities that Russian forces are trying to, you know, overtake. Ukrainian forces are pushing them back. Uh, what are some of your takeaways from some of the stuff I just read there? And even from, from the report over from, from, from ABC News? Yeah. I mean, the first thing to note is, you know, what's going on, um, you know, in, in the Donbass, as you talked about, you know, Zelensky's identifying the fact that, you know, this is a new offensive by the Russians and there's an opportunity to move into another territory in the country and basically pretty much moving a lot of troop deployment there. You know, you have to sort of visualize Ukraine as not exactly impenetrable because obviously we've seen, you know, the Russians be somewhat successful, but just finding different entry points. And, and that's this is the newest attempt by the Russians. You know, one thing I do think about is that, you know, we began this conflict with the conversation, you know, as you mentioned with Jared and Marie, of how relentless Putin would be to see this through, that there was a clear understanding that the Russians would not stop until enough territory in Ukraine was captured by the Russians. But now it starts to seem that we're seeing in President Zelensky the same level of resolve, where Ukraine is absolutely adamant that there will be no 
capitulation on any territory. Uh, this was talked about recently in terms of an, an attempt for negotiation. And the president of Ukraine was very open about the fact that we're not giving anything back to the Russians. So we're just seeing a standoff. Um, but at the same time, you're also seeing funds being continued to be moved into the country, you know, more humanitarian efforts, more money. You know, the rest of the world is just finding a way to be able to make an effort short of sending in troops. And I think that's the thing that Putin keeps noting in all this. Yeah, I think it's been the one common thread that I have seen, at least across reports, has been how Putin, you know, at least you get from different military analysts across the media spectrum, that Putin kind of underestimated all this, right? I think we've talked about this a few times on the show, especially with the folks that we have had on covering this, but he underestimated the offensives, he underestimated the ability to take over cities. He has, you know, vastly underestimated not only the forces that he's being met against, but also once they have taken over control of cities, if you've heard in different reports, there's been fighting and Ukrainians have been able to take back different cities as well. They've been able to take back the area of Chernobyl. So there's been a couple of different instances where that has happened. So more on you know the what's happening with the war like i said as we'll continue to update everybody as real as we can in a weekly podcast format but i did want to get into the media coverage of this because you know this is 24 7 you know a block as we like to say in the industry a b and c block right and then we sprinkle in some news here and there uh for a lot of the the news programs and i mentioned how so many different people from news organizations uh, have people that they're sending out to Lviv, to Kiev, not only international correspondents, you're seeing on-air anchors, you know, CNN has Jake Tapper and Anderson Cooper out there. Uh, I don't know why. Uh, I sent Nick a, a, a video earlier today of MSNBC uh, uh, security analyst, Malcolm Nance, who served in the military for 20 years. He decided to join Ukrainian forces. At least he is. he has literally left his MSNBC job and decided to go out there and help train Ukrainian forces. He recently did a spot on uh, the uh, Joy Reid show talking about why he decided to just get up and do something about it and go out there. But one particular media network that does a Sunday show recently caught the ire of one of us here on this network. So one of us here on this podcast, excuse me. We're not a network though, Nick. Uh, we should be. Um, take a listen to the clip and then the person who drew the ire of is going to respond. Take a listen. I'm seeing contradictory messages from Russian state media. On the one hand, uh, this ship was not attacked by Ukraine. There was a fire, they claim, and that's what went wrong. On the other hand, you have pundits on Russian state TV saying, bomb Kiev, this is war, you know, we need to retaliate for the sinking of our ship. Can both those messages be true? Do they make sense together? Okay, Brian, um, what, what we're doing right now is exactly what Russian propagandists want us to do. Right, which is amplifying uh -oh. ridiculous messages. Hmm. Do you not have sound? Tell me more. Uh, uh, you know, the, 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 everything that we hear from Russian official sources, everything that is on Russian TV is a lie, right? This has been documented over and over again. I really don't see why we would go on, uh, you know, the broadly watched CNN program and trying to engage with these lies. So, uh, by the way, that was obviously Brian Stelter. I mentioned that he hosts the 11 a.m. show on CNN. That was uh, Marsha Gasson, I believe, um, that she's a, a writer, a staff writer on The New Yorker. She's also written a book. Uh, it's called Surviving Autocracy. 
And she was the one that was responding to what Brian Stelter there said about uh, maybe you shouldn't be on U.S. state TV spouting Russian propaganda. And as we've learned on this program from the different journalists that have covered this, Alex Clement over at G-Zero Media, Amy McKinnon at Foreign Policy, Trey Yingst over at Fox News, um, whatever comes out of the Kremlin, especially to their audience in, on Russian state TV, which is all control, all controlled and owned by the government, there is no independent news outlet left in Russia. All of it is unified in its messaging. So it drew the ire of one particular person on this show. Will that person please identify themselves right now? Absolutely me. <laughs> um, you know, I, to, and Mike, as you part, as you mentioned, you know, Masha Gessen is a writer at the New Yorker. Um, in addition to surviving autocracy, she's also written The Future is History, How Totalitarianism uh, Has Reclaimed Russia, uh, which won the National Book Award in, back in 2017. So this is clearly a person who knows what she's talking about, which would make her a great guest on our podcast, by the way. Right. You know, Brian has a tendency of doing this where he hosts a show on CNN and he's trying to cultivate these different opinions and trying to, it's, it's interesting sort of breaking the fourth wall because here's someone on the news network talking about how news media allegedly works. And what pissed me off about that clip was the fact that you have a writer in Gessen who knows clearly what she's talking about, who studied Russia, who understands Russian media. And what's going on? Similar to Alex, Alex Clement, who you mentioned being on the show before. And here's Brian sort of huffing his way through saying, well, you know, if Russian state media says this and like as soon as someone says that, you need to stop. Because to me, to to try to equate to the reports that we're hearing on the other side is to say that both sides should be given a legitimate that you should be listening to both you know, <laughs> open mindedly, which is bullshit. Anything that's coming out of Russia, we know is outright based on state-based propaganda. It is entirely Putin's talking machine. That's all it is. It's no different than what the Nazis were doing. Stelter, honestly, is the kind of guy that, you know, if we're back in World War II, would have been stupid enough to say something like, well, you know, you know, Nazi-led, you know, Nazi-reported state reporting is telling us that, you know, what's going on in the concentration camps is not so bad. So how do we equate these two things? It's stupid. It's stupid and it's intellectually insulting. For Stelz to basically both sides this, anyone who's trying to use you know, Russian state television or any news network based out of Russia as some viable source of information is fooling themselves. And I'm so glad that she called him out in a, in a very professional way, I'm not being so professional now. I'm kind of going Kyrie double bird here, and I'm fine with that. But you you even heard him like pausing, and she she was like, she hit him with her own version of "Did I stutter?" When she said, "You know, did your audio cut out?" That was very I, I thought it was very tasty. You know, her. And, and I'm, I'm so glad you said that because I didn't hear what she said. I thought that she said. Um, did you not understand or like, do you not understand? So mm -hmm. that makes it even funnier to me. So let me try to clean up uh, what Mr. Zavari just said there on his, on his rant as a viewer watching the news saying, Oh, see, get him, get him. Okay. Now let's, let's go inside from a former news producer here. Okay. So Brian Stelter has an 11 o'clock show, right? It's once a week. It's on a Sunday. Okay. As somebody who's produced a show that airs weekly, not this one, 
a real one that airs out there in the in, in the actual uh, universe of television that you watch. Um, the way that works is probably Friday night, right? Because Brian wants to wait to see the week that happens, or if anything breaks, maybe on Saturday that they would talk about in the Sunday show. They pre-plot, right? For and who they're going to have on the program, what they're going to talk about. It's an hour show. We got to fill something here. We've got X, Y, Z. This is you know the four segments, whatever. So for that particular segment, that means Brian took the time to monitor Russian state media, or at least whoever at CNN would have access to, you know, translations of everything that's been transcribed from Russian state TV or different segments, something like that, because obviously he doesn't speak Russian, but now he's sitting there and he's made the executive decision to put that into a format and to have a guest on to ask about that specific thing. So I think the issue lies right there. Crafting that entire segment. When we had Alex Clement on, for example, Alex wrote an article about what Russians actually think of the war from the vantage point of the last independent known pollster in Russia. The, the last agency that's doing independent polling that hasn't been bought out by Putin and hasn't been taken over by Russian government. He did an article on that as to what people are doing. Alex also speaks Russian, funny enough. And so Alex works for a company, G Zero Media, which is started by Ian Bremmer, formerly of the New York Times, that is monitoring this entire war. And his, his um, area of expertise is really about Russian state TV because he speaks the language he's been monitoring for years, similar to, to what you said about Masha. And it's the same thing here. When we had him on, it was to talk about the totality of it. But we didn't ask a question in the lens of, hey, I noticed on Russian state TV, they did a one guy was saying they should go into Ukraine and another guy was saying they shouldn't. Like, we never did that because we're not both sizing it. Everybody has said that Russia is the aggressor here. Russia has done the invading, right? Russia is lying about X, Y, Z. Everybody's unifying on that page. And to amplify any messages that come from Russian state media or the Kremlin is to do a disservice. Now, you may be saying, Mike, what do you know? You're not in Kiev. You're not, you're not out there reporting. You're not. And you are right. Let's take a listen to Trey Yanks, Fox News uh, foreign correspondent, came on the podcast a few weeks ago. He specifically, I asked him a question about Russian disinformation. What he was seeing, this man is in Kiev right now covering this. Take a listen to what he said. Look, there's a massive information war going on in parallel to this conflict that's taking place on the ground in Ukraine right now, and a concerted effort by the Russian government to disseminate disinformation so that people, at least inside Russia, don't actually understand what's happening. And there will be a number of people who look at what's happening and gauge how successful this disinformation campaign by the Russians actually is. But the reality is we know the Russians say things like they are not targeting civilian areas when our cameras and our interviews are evidence that they are indeed targeting civilian areas. They claim that they did not take part in the killing of civilians in Bucha, but all information on the ground from independent journalists and reports indicates it was the Russians. So you just heard it there, right? A correspondent on the ground talking with other independent journalists and other journalists from the U.S. media sphere that are covering this, what their cameras are capturing, what they know to be false information that Russia is putting out to their general public. I wanted to play that clip in context because 
again, we're not a news agency, but somebody on this program used to produce news at a network. So knowing that you have a responsibility to not frame things in this both sidesism. And you're right, Stelter Show is supposed, it's at a core, it's supposed to do that. Let's look at things from the left perspective. Let's look at things from the right perspective. That's fine. But what do we start this show talking about? Right and wrong, fact and fiction, right? And amplifying messages from somebody that's lying is the wrong thing to do. As you just heard Trey Yinks say there, I wanted to get your take on that because that may have been lost for the people that didn't listen to the episode when Trey Yinks came on the podcast. Check that episode out, The Danger Zone with Trey Yinks, who does a fantastic job covering it. And his network has somebody in their primetime hour that is spouting misinformation about this war. So nobody better than him to counter that misinformation, but, but he does it at the daytime, which he should be going on at the nighttime. But that's a different topic for a different episode. But Nick, uh, I wanted to get your take on that because literally that is clearly the antithesis of, of what Stelter uh, should not be doing. Well, let's be clear. You know, Brian is not a journalist. Um, I mean, he hosts a show talking about media, basically media literacy, you know, doing a show about the media. He, previously, he was a reporter at the New York Times, you know, basically as a media reporter, right? Which is to say, here's someone who's paying attention to what's happening at Fox, who understands sort of the news business, all end of it. Think Darren Ravel, but less about contract information. So you have someone who that's his background and who's trying to have a conversation about you know, the coverage, or at least what we understand is happening in Ukraine. And he's putting forward information from a source that we know is outright deceptive. And in that moment, Masha rightfully is saying, you can't equate these two things. Because what Masha did, Mike, is no different than what you talk about when we have this show. And we, and I've, I've always accredited with you with giving the simplest analogy is if we can't agree that the sky is blue and the sun is yellow... What in God's name are we doing on this show or in any conversation? Right. And that's what she basically did with Brian is you know, you're trying to say that the sky is orange because that's parroting what Putin is saying. And I'm telling you as a person who actually knows what I'm talking about, that that's bullshit. And you know, you should know better. That's right. Listen, I've told everybody uh, about this. If you want to diversify your news sources, Reuters, NPR, uh, we have spotlighted the journalists that are doing a great job covering this conflict from the different networks that you should follow on social media, from Trey Yanks to Clarissa Ward to Matthew Chance, uh, obviously Trey's former colleague, Benjamin Hall as well, that that was injured in that attack. Tim Mock over at NPR is doing a great job. There's a bunch of great journalists going out there, but you should diversify your news sources on this conflict. Uh, speaking of conflict, the <laughs> Twitter background is there's some conflict there between employees and what Elon Musk is trying to do to take over full ownership of Twitter. More on that when we come back after the break. Nick, today's episode of the podcast is presented by the good folks at Athletic Greens. Athletic Greens is a foundational nutrition for just about everyone. Nick, what do you know about the healthy stuff over there at Athletic Greens? I actually currently use it. Um, you know, it's funny. Uh, few months back, you know, I made some just changes in my health. So one of the things I did was just redid my breakfast. <laughs> I was just, you know, was going through different, um, you know, powders and protein stuff just to find a healthier way to get started, to get started with my day. Didn't mean for that to rhyme, but I came across athletic, uh, athletic greens and it was just 
super helpful. Just make a shake in the morning, get my coffee, and I feel great. I don't really need anything else for the rest of the morning. And it, weight's coming off. I feel a lot better. I'm starting my days a lot more effectively. So I've, I've just been blown away by the by the service, just the stuff. And that's the big thing. Like whenever you buy these type of these type of you know shakes and whatnot, you right. gotta look real carefully at the ingredients. And one thing that Athletic Greens does a good job is, you know, they've got 75 vitamins, minerals, whole food source nutrients, and all of it just easily available in your blender bottle or however you're mixing it. I tend to be a blender bottle fan myself. So I'm a huge fan. That's it. Well, listen, Athletic Greens is committed to the highest quality ingredients and manufacturing process. Obviously, their AG1 is made in New Zealand at a TGA registered facility. Their philosophy is to focus on a very small number of products based on what the latest science indicates is essential to human health. So right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free, free Nick, one year supply of immune supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do right now is visit athleticgreens.com backslash emerging. There's a link in our show notes page. Again, that's athleticgreens.com backslash emerging to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. All right, Nick, in our final segment here, uh, we got to get into everything happening with Elon Musk and Twitter. If you don't know what is happening right now, recently, Elon Musk, who owns a 9% stake in Twitter, offered $43 billion to acquire the company Twitter. He's been very vocal of Twitter and the policies around their free speech, or at least their privacy policy in terms of use and who they've deplatformed and who they haven't deplatformed, right? And so as of uh, this taping, Twitter recently adopted a measure that would shield it from this hostile acquisition bid because Musk is on the is, is on the board. He owns 9% stake. He's trying to fully overtake it. And, and Twitter took what insiders are calling, or at least people that follow technology news and business news, is this poison pill, right? So it's a rights plan that forces negotiation. It buys time uh, for some of the investors and, and, and the shareholders. And this poison pill is triggered after an investor accumulates more than 15% of the stock without prior approval. So what does that all mean? We're going to have somebody from the tech space uh, coming on to talk to us in the coming weeks about that, because this story is going to continue to matriculate over the next couple of months. But as of right now, Elon Musk has been, he did a TED Talk recently in Vancouver, and he's been talking about why he wants to acquire Twitter and, and why he feels like Twitter should be doing a lot better. Take a listen to something that he said uh, during that TED Talk. We're, in, in my view, uh, Twitter should um, match the laws of the, of the country of, and, and, and really, you know, that, that, there's an obligation to, to do that. Um, uh, but going beyond, going beyond that um, and having it be unclear who's making what changes to, who, to, to where, uh, having tweets sort of mysteriously be promoted and demoted with no insight into what's going on, uh, having a black box algorithm uh, promote some things and other, not, not other things, I think this can be quite dangerous. So you heard Musk there. And let me clarify a couple of things. Uh, Twitter, unlike 
Meta Platforms Inc. or Snap Inc., obviously Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, respectively, and some of the other tech giants, they don't have founders that have a majority voting control. That makes the company particularly vulnerable to investors and people that have a takeover interest. So like recently, for example, Jack Dorsey, right, who was, you know, the founder of Twitter for all intent and purpose and, and a board member as well, he shared an opinion on Twitter, funny enough, uh, that he said, listen, as a public company, Twitter has always been, and he put in air quotes, for sale. So that's the real issue, right? And so Elon Musk, you know, first disclosed that he wanted, or at least that he had a stake in Twitter on April 4th. So we are now what April 19th. And you can say, wow, this is pretty, this has gone pretty quickly into he has now made a full bid to try to take ownership over the company. Nick, I know we wanted to talk about this topic because we have takes on Elon Musk himself. Uh, I have a technology take on Twitter itself and this blanket of free speech that Elon Musk is putting this under the guise of because. To me, that's bullshit. And I'm going to get into that why in a little bit. And I'm going to try to explain it as best as I can as somebody who's worked in the technology space for the last 12 years. But I want to get your takes first on Musk trying to take ownership of a platform that you use often. And then some of the news and, and notes that I just read there about his stake in the company, what Twitter's doing, adopting this poison pill to be able to, you know, at least have the board set up a shareholder rights plan. Um, give me some of your takeaways on that. And then, and then I want to give people the technology perspective of why Elon Musk is, is not after helping free speech. Okay. Yeah, and I, and my, my opinions are tied to that. Um, I'm okay with just in the business sense, if someone has it in their pocket, you know, they can afford to buy majority share of a company. That's fine. I, I, this is capitalism. This is America. That's how that works. Where I start to get unnerved is the second that same person comes forward and says, well, it's not about the money. You know, I want to employ a practice that, and you heard it from the clip that Mike played, you know, where the company mirrors the country's laws or something. And I don't understand for the life of me, why don't understand that companies don't necessarily follow federal law unless it talks about business regulation. What he was basically saying is code for, well, I think Twitter should have free speech, just like you know the United States of America has free speech, which is not exactly correct. This is a, a horrible interpretation of the First Amendment, which we are often doing in this country, which once again reminds me of the you know just pathetic <laughs> attempts at civics education that we have in this nation. But the second you go down the road of, well, I want to mirror you know what we're doing as a country, this is not about money. Then there's clearly an alternative motive here. And the and what it seems to be is that Musk is trying to take control of perhaps the ultimate social media platform that allows for messaging and the ability to connect with other people and what have you. Because Facebook tends to do it around like sort of your like people you know, friend circles and stuff. You know, Twitter, I mean, that's the wild, wild west. Like or just a moment ago, like a, a writer I'm a huge fan of, you know, liked one of my posts. Like this is that's crazy, right? Like people just, you know, connect that way. So for someone to come forward and say, well, I, I can steward this platform to be representative of an ideal that you have is horseshit. You're obviously doing this to make sure that you yourself can have a platform that you can basically peddle all the nonsense that you want. And that's what should be raising the red flag for anyone. Again, if this was simply 
a business measure. This is one person just trying to buy up majority stock in a company. Fine. That's that's how this works. But the second you try to tell us, you know, what your holier than thou mission is, that should raise the ire, or at least that should raise the red flags for anyone in the tech space. All right. So let me I want to go back for a second because I want to give people full context here of before Musk is uh, before Elon's hostile takeover bid, some of the employees uh, they were on edge, but not panicked because Twitter has always had, if you don't know this, they've always had like this open policy where employees can ask anybody from, you know, co-founder and, and the former CEO, Jack Dorsey, all the way up and down the corporate ranks, ask whatever you want on Slack and demand answers to tricky questions. If you don't know what Slack is, Slack is a communication tool that a lot of companies use. It's think of it like an, like an AOL chat. Um, so when Musk first disclosed on April 4th that he owned a 9.2% stake in Twitter, he was the company's largest shareholder at that time. Employees didn't know what to make of that news. Days later, Musk was awarded a board seat. So that kind of prevented him from this hostile takeover. So many people were like, okay, well, he sits on the board, you know, obviously boards, you know, you vote, right? So he's only one vote on a board, but then obviously this in recent days, now the bid for him to actually buy full majority share of the company. And he doesn't even know, by the way, he has said this publicly, that he doesn't even know if any of this will happen, right? That he doesn't, if the deal is to quote him, if the deal doesn't work, given that I don't have the confidence in management, nor do I believe I could drive the necessary change, I would need to reconsider you know, my position as a shareholder. So even he has been like, and that's his plan B, right? So he's like, if, if I can't get it, you know, then maybe I'll rethink about my position on the board. Okay. So I just wanted to give that context about because there's some recent there's some great articles from from Bloomberg News, from Axios about the the employees and and from different employees that work at Twitter about everything that's happening there because there's some volatility volatility there right like some people don't like Elon Musk they don't like his stance on certain things uh, Twitter has a new CEO obviously um, so a lot of different influx as recently as last year and so there's a lot of different influx that's happening at the company uh, their price their shares price went up as of this taping uh, and the close of 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 the Dow Jones yesterday. So some up and down fluctuation there. Let me get into my my tech soliloquy for a second, okay? Listen to me, folks, okay? I don't know how many times I have to explain this. And if if you hear it in my voice and you hear the breath I just took and the pause I just took, it's because this is not hard to understand. This is not hard to understand. The apps that you use on your phone, whether it be Android or Apple, the apps that you use on your phone always when you open it up, give you these long pages, these long things. And there's a button there that highlighted that says, I agree. So you don't have to read all of it. Guess what? You should read it. Because if you read it, you would understand that what you say on this platform, whether it be Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, et cetera, et cetera, can be flagged and monitored. So for example, you know, one of my nieces was of a younger age and had a TikTok and the TikTok blew up. TikTok promptly took it down. Why? Because she's a minor and they felt that the content and it being a minor was not conducive to being on that platform. So they took it down. If she had read the terms of use and privacy policy, she would have understood why. 
she got some vague messaging as to why I got taken down, but I know why I got taken down as somebody who has worked in the tech space to take down content that does not, or if somebody did something and, and that content happens to live on my platform, I'm going to take it down because I don't want to be associated with that person. Right? So I want to, I want to stress this to everybody because as we were getting ready for this taping, I wrote down six things for all of you out there that are listening to this program that say, but he's really going to help with free speech. He's going to help with free speech. Listen to me for a, sec- for a second. Okay. You are free to A, ideate on an app. Ideate means uh, you hang out with some friends and you write out a concept for an application. You build out some product requirements around it, maybe even some design guidance. You start working on some, some uh, prototypes. You work with some designers on what the UI UX will look like. UI means the interface of the application. UX means the user experience, meaning like what you like and dislike, where the button's location will look like, what the iconography will look like. You can do all of that, test it, pass it out to friends, have them be you know power users of the application, like one of my friends did with his music app when it launched, test it out. You give them feedback, their product people, their engineers will continue to ideate on that and build a great experience. Then you partner with a hosting service like Amazon to be able to host this. And then you go to market with the app. So you promote it. You can charge a fee. You work with Apple on on it living on, on the app store. You work with Google on it living on the Google Play Store. You can do all of that, launch your app, and then you can have all the free speech in the world you want. Okay. Until then, this is not your house. You're a renter in the Twitter house. So shut up. If you say something that incites violence, if you say something, right, that is deemed hateful and pointing directly to lead people to do some type of action towards somebody, your account will get flagged. Your account. Now, again, if Musk was just about, he said it in the clip, where in the algorithm for people's feeds, sometimes things don't show up for one person as they show up for another person. I agree with that because there are things that a friend of mine will like that I won't see that a mutual friend of ours, he will see on his feed and he'll screenshot it and he'll send it to me. And I'll say, that's weird because we both follow him. Why am I not seeing that? I should be seeing that, right? Because you see what your friends have liked as that pops up on your Twitter feed. The conversation about how the algorithm works, the transparency around it, where it lives, where the source code lives, this is all technical jargon to say, we can have a conversation about that. But at the end of the day, Twitter, I know Jack Dorsey said it's a public company. It's still technically private in terms of the business. It's not being regulated by any federal agency. So shut up and go to another site if you don't like Twitter. If you're mad about the process of the speeding tickets that are being handed out for people and it's an arbitrary process and they're just taking down conservatives and they're not leave, and they're not taking down progressives that are saying something like that, start your own. Th- you are free to start your own thing. When you come into this house, the Twitter house, you got to take your shoes off. This is not your house. You are, you are free to build your own house. And make up the rules similar to what Twitter has done. But until then, because people are creatures of habit, I work in this space. People are creatures of habit. User behavior is the most common thing in this industry. ESPN, for an event that they don't have rights to, will get 4 million people looking at the scores page just on that site. Because why? 
we are ingrained as sports fans to go to ESPN first as our user behavior, right? But the game could be on Fox. It could be on CBS. It could be on NBC. And that number that I gave you is from my previous job monitoring because I worked in the, for the PGA tour and in the golf space, trying to get users to come over from the ESPN world to say, Hey, we have the event and we have a scoreboard here. So people are creatures of user behavior. I say that to say that they don't want to leave Twitter. They love the experience on Twitter. They have their feeds. They have the reporters that they follow or people that they think uh, do funny things. Like we follow, you know, Josiah, you know, who's got one of the the best memes out there. And, And there's funny content that lives on there. But again, if you do not like the rules, go play somewhere else. This is not your game. It's not your game. Or you could study product and get a job at Twitter and you could try to help change the thing. I'm not even being facetious about any of this. And if you want to email us, can we please talk podcast at gmail.com? You don't agree with this take. Um, feel free to do that. The problem is, and again, just like we started this show, right, wrong, fact, fiction. I, I'm not giving you my opinion. I'm telling you as somebody who works in product, somebody who's worked in technology for the last 12 years, who has launched four different apps for sports and music companies that still live out there, that are on the app store for Apple, that are on the play store for Google. I know how this process process works of taking apps to market for big corporations. I know how it works from including chat functionality and some type of scroll feed so people can interact and engage with different things. If you say something stupid, we're going to take you out of here. That's the way Twitter works. We can get into that the process is arbitrary of what they're doing. That is fine because it's not clearly defined in their privacy policy in terms of use. And you know why? Because the legal folks do that to give themselves gray area. You got to get things approved by legal. Twitter has had their legal team up and down comb things to say how ironclad are these TOUs and the PPs. So that way we don't fall into a gray area where we could get sued. I know because I go through this process. Stop saying it's free speech. No, it's not. Elon Musk does not give a shit about your free speech. He does not give a shit about your free speech as you keep buying Tesla cars and keep making him a rich billionaire. He does not care about free speech. It's not about free speech. Some people are saying it's a power grab. I don't know about all that. I'm just here to tell you that it is not about free speech, that you want free speech, start your own app. You are, again, I give you all the steps. You can email us. I will, I will help you write the product plan if I agree with what the hell you're saying, but I will help you. I'll, I'll introduce you to design shop. I'll introduce you to a front and back end development agency. You can do all of that. And if you don't know what any of this means, that's exactly why you should shut up talking about this topic. If you don't know what any of the terms that I just said, you should shut up about this topic. I'm agitated because I'm seeing people that listen to this program that, that I've posted certain things on their Instagram stories. Yeah, Elon's going to save us free speech. You're a freaking moron. You are a freaking moron. And if you think I'm talking about you, email me, DM me, because I am talking about you. You are a moron. You do not get how this works. It does not work like that. He does not care about your free speech. And it's also not about free speech. They have a terms of use. They have a policy policy. You violate it. Kick rocks. Them's the breaks, to quote Nick Zaveri. It is not that hard. Again, free to start your own app, ideate, build out product requirements, design guidance, work with designers, UI, UX, testing internally, externally, power users, get a hosting service, go to market, promote it, launch it. That's it. I yield back my time because I am incest. 
I love and it. how stupid people are it. about this. It is insane. You need, you need to clip this for the for the gram. Like the, I sound like such a child when I say that, but like that's perfect. That I feel like you just basically explained. Well, for one, for anyone who never saw the Social Network, you, you just saved yourself, you know, about two and a half hours of screen time with Jesse Eisenberg because Michael just took you all through the movie, though. Good movie. Um, it is a very good movie, though. Shout out to the Winklevoss twins. So, but I think. I'm sitting with what you just said about the people who look at Musk and say, he's going to save you. And I wonder how many times are Americans and seems to be just a part of our function as citizens. Why do we look at rich people as being the ones to save us? I've never understood that. And that's the same thing we saw even with Trump. I'll never understand why we look at business figures who are immensely successful. And again, shout out to them. They've played the game of capitalism well, good for them. But why do we look to them as being the ones who are going to somehow save our country or maintain our values when their only value is to make more money than us? Right. Why do you think it, it is blindingly stupid to imagine that Musk would make this move for the social good? If he was putting out electric cars like like their company is, and let's be clear, by the way, Musk doesn't make shit. He's a great designer, great thinker. There's a whole team of people be building these cars. Same thing with the solar panels. So let's dial down as the second coming of the you know 21st century version of Tony Stark. Shut up. You sound like a moron. But we just do. I, yeah, the deification of rich people in this country is something I will never truly understand. Uh, but I, too, yield my time. Well, listen, uh, I, I'm, I, I had to get that off my chest. But listen, in the coming weeks, we're going to dive more into whatever plays out with that. We're still going to have a tech reporter come on because we want to get into more stuff that's happening in the tech space as well. Crypto, Bitcoin. There's a lot going on that Nick and I don't fully understand. <laughs> and there's athletes that are getting paid in Bitcoin. How does that Shout work? Shout out to the blockchain. Yeah, exactly. And we're going to get into that with a tech reporter coming out. we got some great episodes in the coming weeks. We're going to be heading down to the border. Nah, not literally, Nick. I'm not paying for us to go down there, but uh, a great reporter from the El Paso Times who's going to be joining us to talk about everything that's happening with with the immigration policies of Governor Abbott and some stuff that's made some news out of Texas recently. We're going to have Representative Adam Kinzinger. He will be on the podcast in the coming weeks, but first will be his deputy chief of staff, Maura Gillespie. She's going to be joining us. She runs the country first uh, initiative that Adam Kinzinger is doing. Obviously, we all know that Representative Kinzinger is retiring later on in the year, so he is not coming back for another term. They're going to be on coming up uh, in the coming weeks. Great episodes lined up. Video, YouTube. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel. You want to watch any of the video content uh, from all of our interviews that we've done on this program. Check us out across social media: IG, TikTok, Twitter at Can We Please Talk Podcast on Twitter at Can We Please Talk. Shout out to ACAST for hosting this. Speaking of hosting, like I just said, you, you pay a hosting platform, folks. Shout out to ACAST because they're the best in the business for hosting us and allowing us to talk. As always, I am Mike Leon. And unlike Alex Jones, we'll be back for more episodes. Shout seriously, shout to the families of victims at Sandy Hook who've, who've done, who fought the good fight. And um, Jones can't go to hell fast enough. I'm Nick Saveri. Yeah. Hey, Alex Jones, kick rocks, buddy. We'll see everybody next time.